0: So it's finally past Tuesday, a very historic week. Not only was Barack Obama elected for a second term, but four states passed marriage equality laws that now bring the total number of states that grant marriage equality to 10. Some of my rabbinic colleagues in other states have started to laugh and joke with me when they call and say, are you going to send some of your LGBT couples to our states to get married, which isn't really that funny because we can't married gay and lesbian couples in San Francisco or in California. But women made a very tremendous leap and tremendous strides in this election in Congress, and Proposition 30 in California passed, which allows our students who attend public school to actually be able to count on attending school next year. If you think about one proposition, Proposition 30, which if it didn't pass, many of our students next year wouldn't have school to go to because we'd have 15 furlough days. I have a kid in public school and every time there's a furlough day, I just wonder what would it be like next year if there was double the number of furlough days and in one semester he wasn't going to school two, three times a month because our state didn't have enough money. But there is a lot more to think about post-Tuesday. However you felt when you woke up Wednesday morning, whether it was disappointed or jubilant, I know there's a tendency for us to very quickly put something like the election behind us. But voting is only one act on one day. As Jews, we are taught to be cautious when dealing with our government in pure Avot, but we know that the words of the prophets compel us to advocate and to activate when it comes to those in need. So tonight, I wanted to talk about one of the most important pieces of legislation that's on the table, which is the Farm Bill. All over the country last Shabbat, synagogues came together to, I don't want to say celebrate, but to galvanize around something called Hunger Shabbat. American Jewish World Service has asked, about 300 synagogues around the country to spend a Shabbat to talk about world hunger and what the United States can do and what we as Jews, the way that we can participate in it. So we are also partnering with American Jewish World Service for something called the Reverse Hunger Campaign. Now, most of you know that in this world, well, you could probably tell me, how many people in our world are malnourished or hungry? How many do you think right now? A million, many millions, a billion. One billion people are malnourished in our world. We also know that we have enough grain in our world to feed the entire population of the world twice over. And the U.S. food policies um, that surround the Farm Bill, which is passed every five years in our country, benefits large American agribusiness and shipping companies At the expense, unfortunately, in the countries of the people who are the neediest. The Farm Bill, if it passes the wrong way, it's already been passed in the Senate, and it's hopefully going to be passed before 2012 is over by the House. If it's passed the wrong way, um, it is going to affect 30 million people. 30 more million people will go hungry. But if there are slight changes made in food aid policy to our food bill, 14, it will take us 14 weeks less to get aid where it needs to go. And we will be able to feed up to 17 million more people for the same amount of money that we spend today. The reverse hunger campaign has partners all over the country that are trying to impel and compel our government to change food policy around the world. In April 2012, the Farm Bill was um, passed by the U.S. Senate. And unfortunately, the House Agriculture Committee added some things to it that made it impossible to pass in the House. And so that's where we are now, which is trying to have a farm bill passed. And as you know, those billion people are relying on one country to solve this problem. That's our country. So Judaism is full of teachings, of texts, on our responsibility and our stories about what to do when we're hungry. And you know, I mean, the Jews are famous for food, right? Feed a cold, feed a fever, feed a stub toe, right? And you know the, the whole history of our people is they came, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. It doesn't matter why we come together, we eat. But the reality is that there's a lot of hunger stories in our texts. The story that's read more than any other in our text the whole year is during Pesach. How many people here have ever been to a Seder? Okay, almost everybody here has been to a Seder. The entire Exodus story, the journey of the Israelites to settle in the land of Egypt, to be enslaved by the Pharaoh, and ultimately to be freed by God, begins with a famine. If you remember the story, it's Joseph who correctly interprets the Pharaoh's dreams about seven healthy sheaves of wheat and seven skinny sheaves of wheat and seven heavy cows and seven skinny cows and indicates that Egypt is going to suffer a terrible famine, but that stores and surplus can be shored up for the seven years when the famine will come. It's Joseph who makes the plans to ensure there will be enough grain and resources for all of Egypt and anybody who comes to implore them for subsistence. And it's the famine, the lack of food, the hunger that drives Jacob to send his remaining sons to Egypt to beg for food. If not for hunger and famine, we may not have become slaves, but we also would have not been freed, and we would not celebrate the Passover Zeder every year. Now, we would jump right from Purim in March to Shavuot in May. And I think you know some people would say, no gefilte fish, that's fine. I'll skip right to the blintzes for Shavuot. But think of the huge hole in our history if our ancestors had not been compelled by hunger and famine to leave the land that they were in and to find resources in Egypt. It started the ball rolling on our entire Exodus story. In Exodus 16, this is what God commands of the people. Gather of food every person as much as they should eat. You should take an omer, a piece according to the number of persons each of you has in your tent. The children of Israel did so, and some gathered much, and some gathered little. When they measured it with an omer, one who had gathered much had no excess, and one who gathered little had no lack. Every person gathered exactly as much as they needed to eat. Moses said to them, let no person leave of any of it till morning, that's the prohibition against leftovers, which I don't agree with, but they did not listen to Moses and some left part of it until morning and it became foul and moldy and Moses was angry with them. So even during a time of plenty, when there was enough food for everybody, some of the Israelites were very nervous about sustenance in the desert. And even though they had the commandment that the next day they'd get enough food, they hoarded the food that they had and then they were commanded not to, and it became moldy the next day. Food is, according to the Babylonian Talmud, supposed to be distributed in a community every day, and the charity fund is only supposed to be distributed once a week. Why do you think that is? Why do you only get sadaka once a week, but you get food every day? Because you need food every day. That's what the Talmud teaches us. The soup kitchen is for all comers, the charity fund is only for the poor. The townspeople, however, are at liberty to use the soup kitchen like the charity fund and vice versa, and to apply them to whatever purposes they choose. But the first thing that has to be offered in a community every day is food. In Pirkei Avot, it actually teaches, Ein Kemach in Torah. Without sustenance, without bread, there can be no Torah. So our texts, I could go on all night with the ones that are teaching us about the needy and the way to express our obligation to them, especially to those that are hungry. And you don't need me to remind you of how blessed we are in San Francisco to live in a place where there is abundance of food. We also have to recognize that it's wrong to live in a place where you can go out for dinner and spend $500 for two people in many restaurants in San Francisco, when four blocks away there are children who aren't going to be eating dinner because their family just didn't have enough for that third meal. I'm not telling you to stop enjoying yourself At home cooking or purchasing delicious produce here in San Francisco or eating out at a fabulous restaurant. And I myself am guilty each time I'm enjoying myself eating to remember that I'm blessed. That's what the motzi is for, that we're supposed to say a blessing before we eat to remind ourselves how lucky we are. And it's not far away. Like when I was a little girl and I refused to eat whatever was on my plate, what would my parents say? There's starving people in just wherever, so far places I couldn't even imagine on the other side of the globe, Asia, Africa, Europe, and I mean, I don't know what my food was gonna do for them. It didn't seem like it made a lot of sense to me, but what we really recognize is there's people right here that are hungry. We don't have to go that far away, but right around the corner from us, there's people who are hungry. In fact, across the street, every single week, there's a food pantry at St. John's Church with people lined up to get free food that's dispersed from the San Francisco Food Bank. So what I'm encouraging you to do is not to think of Tuesday as a historic day, but have it be a reminder that there's a lot of work to do. At some point this weekend, not on Shabbat, I'm not telling you to get on your computer in the next 24 hours, but after that, get online and go to AJWS.org, AmericanJewishWorldService.org, and find the Reverse Hunger Campaign and sign up. Because as Jews, even though we're supposed to be cautious of our government, we're also responsible for compelling them to do what's right. And what's wrong right now is the United States is actually making it much more difficult for countries to grow their own food. Because all of the food that we give to countries all over, Haiti is a great example. Before the disaster in Haiti, Haiti was able to to grow plenty of food. And now that we have inundated them with American rice, their farmers are suffering terribly. So there's a right way and there's a wrong way of us supporting people in this world. So far, AJWS has gathered 18,000 signatures for something called the Jewish Platform for a Just Farm Bill. So I'm encouraging you to get online and find out how we can, before December 31st, get the Farm Bill passed, because it's a Jewish imperative. In last week's Parshah, God consulted with Abraham about his plans to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says that this consultation with Avram is so that he may instruct his children and his posterity to keep the way of God by doing what is just and right. And that's the message that we get from last week's portion and from this week's portion of Chayei Sarah of knowing what is just and what is right. We have elected administration that vows to care for those in need in our country. We as Jews and as American citizens need to hold our country to its promises, the promises that Barack Obama made, what he ran on, and to its highest potential. And I would like to be able to say the Pledge of Allegiance, and when I say the line, with liberty and justice for all, think that it's not aspirational, or it's not a fantasy or a dream, but it's something that we can actually make happen. Shabbat shalom.